So, Mark. Yes. It is the beginning of our Christmas celebration. Hooray, Christmas! Yay! So, I thought that since we're expanding a little bit this year, we're going to cover more than one Christmas movie this December, that we should take a moment to talk about what makes a good Christmas movie. Okay. So I was wondering, what do you think about that? I think family is an important part of a good Christmas movie. I feel like I can't think of any actual Christmas classic that isn't really about family in some way. And I would say even some of the ones that don't directly have a family at their center, in a way, something like A Christmas Carol the absence of family looms very large over it. Yeah, there's just, in our conception of Christmas, I think family is just a big, big part of that. And the best Christmas movies are the ones that kind of handle that well. So like, you know, your Christmas stories, your wonderful lives, and Okay, so I've got my exception. What? Which is the only version of it worth talking about. The original television special of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. True. There's no family in that. Well, all the Whos have their Whoville families. Yeah, but that's not what it's but about. But it's not what it's about. No, that's a good one. It's a good exception, but I feel like that is a good... I mean, you know, there's exceptions to almost every rule with film. Yeah, I think, absolutely. When I think of Christmas and movies, I think of family. Okay. I've been watching a lot this year, but specifically I've been watching a lot of, like, bad made-for-TV Christmas movies. And I say bad with the full acknowledgement that I am loving this. Yeah. But one thing I noticed, and I think this was mentioned on Pop Culture Happy Hour recently as well, is that these movies are good when they're, like, not super plotty. Like, a lot of Christmas movies are simultaneously fairly Byzantine, but also if you walked away for 20 minutes and came back, you'd know exactly what was happening. Right. They're not thinkers, because, you know... They're kind of for kids. Like, as I said, family, so a lot of them are made with the whole family in mind. Right. I was thinking of this last night when we were watching Elf, Mm. because I was like, you know, this movie is not that plotty. No, there's like like, no plot. There are some things to achieve. There are some obstacles. But for the most part, it's just like, I don't know, some characters. Yeah. Let them hang out until Christmas. Honestly, there's so many Christmas movies where the plot can just be summed up. Boy, Christmas sure is coming. Boy, Christmas sure is coming. Our family's unhappy. Oh boy, Christmas is here. Now our family's happy. Yay. Elf. Um, A Christmas Story. I'm trying to think of the others, but I feel like there's that element in It's a Wonderful Life. There's the winter section of Meet Me in St. Louis. Exactly. Christmas is coming. Things are bad. Christmas is here. All our problems are solved. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. Yep, that's how Christmas movies work. What's your favorite Christmas TV special? Christmas TV special. I have not watched a lot of those since I was really young, but the one I remember most is Rudolph. What do you like about Rudolph? Um... The snowman was fun. Sam the snowman? Sam the snowman. Or are you more of a Leon guy? I don't know. He's the snowman from Elf. Oh, I forgot that that was his name. I mean, Leon the snowman's pretty fun. Who's he voiced by? Leon Redbone. He is? That's what I thought. Yeah. I don't know. I always enjoy the narrators in movies like this. All the Christmas narrators are always... The best, of course, is Boris Karloff in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Obviously. Yeah. Boris Karloff is always the best narrator. Always terrific. I think my favorite, I really, really love The Year Without a Santa Claus, Mm -hmm. in which Santa decides that he's too tired to do Christmas one year, so he announces that he's taking a year off, and then disaster ensues because the Miser brothers, Snow Miser and Heat Miser, decide to start taking advantage of the situation, and so Mrs. Claus has to send some elves down to Southtown, USA, to prove that kids still care about Santa, and that they will be bothered if he doesn't do Christmas, and I still love it, but I watch South 
South Town, USA right now, and I'm like, oh, that is a massive resistance town. <laughs> Not like it's explicit. It just seems like that kind of town. Yeah. I don't think I ever actually watched that one. Oh, it's thinking great. Thinking about it. I've seen the songs. The Heat Miser Yeah, songs. he's Mr. White Christmas. Yeah. He's Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Icicle. He's Mr. He's Mr. Ten Below. Friends call him Snow Miser. Whatever he touches turns to snow in his clutches. He's too muches. I like how Santa Claus is standing between humanity's downfall and true civilization. Well, this is the Rankin-Bass special. Although, like, Santa Claus is coming to town. Some of the other ones do this, too. This is one of the ones that really builds out a very strange lore of Christmas. Because there's Santa and Mrs. Claus and there's the elves. But there's also Mother Nature, who has, like, jurisdiction over the supernatural forces. Okay. And so what's happening is Mrs. Claus needs to prove to the kids in Southtown that Santa is real. And the mayor is like, I'll believe Santa is real when it snows in Southtown. So she's like, boom, I know Snow Miser. I can make that happen. But that's in Heat Miser's territory. So they need to strike a bargain. Because what Heat Miser wants is he's like, all right, I'll give you snow in Southtown. You have to let it get warm at the North Pole. And it's this whole to-do, and they have to get Heat Miser and Snow Miser's mother, Mother Nature, who is this wonderful sassy old lady who just sits around under a tree drinking tea and making fun of the misers to negotiate the deal. I want to look at what their Mother Nature looks like. What's this movie called? The Year Without a Santa Claus? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) And she's got a cat. Yeah, look at her with her little boys. These movies are freaky. They're awesome. The Rankin-Bass specials are great. They're creepy. Let's just admit it. I don't know. Things can be two things. (laughs) Things can be two things. I don't like looking at it. I've decided. I mean, they made Rudolph, too. Yeah. Rudolph is also creepy. <laughs> They're all creepy. I don't know. I feel like growing up, I'm now like, who? Why? Like, why didn't I get nightmares from this? Bumble alone is worth the Rankin-Bass special's creepiness. Which one is Bumble? Bumble the Abominable Snowman. Yeah, I think you really don't fully appreciate how little I've seen of these. Bumble's Bounce. I think the last time I watched one of these is when I was like 10. Well, we should fix younger. that. We're going to fix that. He is very funny. I've seen this Yeti before. Yeah, he's great. He's a... I'm, At the end, he puts the star on the tree. Yeah. Uh, Monsters, Inc.'s Yeti feels like a comment on Bumble. Maybe. At some point, Yetis are Yetis. Yeah. Like Channing Tatum. Oh my god, was he in Smallfoot? He's the lead. He he's, is the ti- he's the Largefoot. He is the titular Largefoot? Well, he's not, he's not the, titular. I, the untitular Largefoot? Indeed he is. Oh man. Who plays the titular Smallfoot? I don't know. I know LeBron James was Gwangi. Did you watch that? The video? Yeah, or no, the movie? The movie. No, I didn't watch the movie. Okay. I was worried you did. Danny DeVito was Dorgal. Sometimes... I worry that movie passes made you see too many movies. Like That's there's some crazy. There's some movies that just don't need to be seen. Name one movie I saw that I shouldn't have seen, and you can't say Peter Rabbit because you saw that too. Um, there is one. I just forgot what it is because it left no cultural imprint. Maybe you'll figure it out by the time you get to the third realm. Just throwing that out there as a hypothetical. Oh God, that's not all of them because believe it or not, there are four realms, but. I think you could figure it out by the time you walk through the third. Oh, my God. Who let you watch that movie? They should have turned you away at the door. With Catherine. I know. I blame Catherine for this. In fact, that was the first movie that I saw on my AMC A-list. I'm so glad we did not see Geostorm first. It's funny that we insisted on seeing something else. But I also would have loved Geostorm to be our first movie pass. No, I refused. That could have been something we could share with Geostorm forever. I don't need more to share with Geostorm. But it's a Geostorm!
Oh, Geostorm. It fills up the progress bar. <laughs> they say and the word. And then there's a cataclysm all over the earth. And Andy Garcia has to say, because I'm the goddamn president. And then shoot Ed Harris in the face. All I can think about with that movie when I look back, and now that we've had a few weeks, I've had some distance, I just think back and I'm like, wow, they say the words Dutch boy too many right. times. Dutch boy. It just is so weird. So you are like not super active on Twitter, but for that entire week, I was just tweeting out pictures of different Dutch boy monuments. Why are there so many? Why is this like myth matter? It's not people. even a Dutch story. It's not. By the way, that whole book, Hans Brinker or the Silver Skates, the entire text is on Google Books. So if you want to read it, you can. I read just the part of the book that has the Dutch boy story, and it's delightfully 19th century, where they're reading aloud in class to practice reading, and they're going from kid to kid, and the teacher is, like, sassing this one little girl who's so overwrought by the story of the little kid, like, freezing to death at the dike at night, and the teacher's just like, pull yourself together, little girl, come on, and this kid is, like, weeping. Sounds about right for the 1900, 19th century? Yeah. Okay. It was great. Highly recommend. Um, should we actually start talking about movies now? <laughs> if you want. Okay. Welcome Are we to- talking about Nutcracker in the Four Realms today? Because no. I have thoughts. Shut up. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. See, the first realm is the realm of candy. He's willed. He's a the ginger. The second realm is this the realm is of This is an investigative snowflakes. podcast the committed to examining the most pressing, urgent flowers. issue of our day. And the fourth realm is amusement. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? Am I still going? I'm curious if you will. <laughs> I figured I'd cover my own line and then maybe you'd hop back in, but this could just be a mark-only episode in terms of format. In terms of doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. And last week, so I was editing the Spider-Man episode, and it's astonishing how much I got away with on that. Uh, I will say there's definite times where I'm just zoned out i edited out a lot of your yeah because i know you have no idea what's going on no that was especially i was just like i really don't care anymore (laughs) Uh, i'm back (laughs) that was me during the spider-man episode i think it's a good one yeah i'll never listen to it mark when's the last time you listened to the show oh i listened to the episode i wasn't on so that was princess diaries yeah cool that was uh august before that i think it was probably january all right i'm here i know what's being said okay but you know what it doesn't matter mark if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one scene flirtation either way (laughs) we're gonna dig in we're gonna see what's there we care we're committed we do it because it matters this is our life's work we love the love we love the love and this week i'm looking at the wrong script We are beginning our We Love to Love Christmas celebrations with a rare new addition to the holiday canon. Jon Favreau's 2003 family comedy, Elf. This is definitely a movie that blasted out of the gates and was already, from its release, I feel, part of the new lineup. Like, it was... From New Line Cinema. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it came out and it was up there. Like, people were talking about it in line with all of the other big ones. Yeah, it's impressive the staying power that this has had because we get a slate of Christmas movies every year. Yeah. And all of them disappear. Oh, completely. Unless they're only remembered because of how ridiculous they are, like Christmas with the Cranks, based on a book written by John Grisham. That book, not bad. Weirdly, the only John Grisham I've ever read. (laughs) But yeah, this movie kind of immediately 
became a part of the Christmas tapestry. It opened November 7th, 2003 in second place behind Matrix Revolutions. Oh. It opened to 31 million. It went on to gross 173 million and has had a steady place on cable every Christmas ever since. Yeah, I feel like I've seen this movie at least once every five years for Christmas, if not more. This was a staple of, like, school Christmas parties. Yeah. Like, if we're like, here, eat some cookies and throw on a movie, it was always gonna be Elf. Yeah. Even if it wasn't really Christmas, this is a movie that would somehow end up at school effect. It was like, like this. school functions. It was this, The Prince of Egypt, or The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> Don't forget National Treasure. So we didn't watch that a lot at school. That was like a bus. That was like a field trip bus movie. Oh, yeah. We watched that on more than one field trip bus. Because it's great. It's actually the perfect field trip bus movie. National Treasure is a great movie. And that's no BS. Book of Secrets. Just good to see what else he's going to add there. And time to move on. So, do you have any idea when you first saw Elf? So, 2003, November, I would have been in fourth grade. So, I think I would have seen it in theaters, probably. Yeah, I think I probably did. I have no recollection of seeing it in theaters, but I definitely saw it that year. Yeah, I don't really remember much of what life was like (laughs) pre-Elf. P.E. P.E. and... P.E. Pre-Elf and post-Elf. Exactly. No, it's just one of those movies where I don't remember, like, watching it for the first time because I've seen it so many times. Yeah, it's ubiquity is kind of part of how it works right now. Yeah. But it was also a significant release, not just as a Christmas thing at the time, because it was Will Ferrell's first lead after leaving Saturday Night Live. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, this is a year before Anchorman. Okay. It's before that whole slate of movies he makes with Adam McKay. Yeah. This is the launching of his solo career. Well, you know, he wasn't actually solo for a while, because all of those, uh, I guess Anchorman, but his biggest two, I feel, were... John C. Riley. Yes, that's true. And they partnered and they yeah. like did work on establishing Funny or Die together. Like they've been a duo for a while. Right. But like Will Ferrell leading man. Yeah. Which he is in all of those movies. He is. He's the lead. Starts with this. Yeah. Can you believe they're doing a Holmes and Watson movie with them? I think it's bad, but I'm pretty hyped. I think it's going to be really bad. But also Lauren Lapkus is in it. She's in everything. Is she? She's in Jurassic World. I do know that. Oof, that is a movie. Although, she's kind of good in it. Is she? What is her role? She's in the, like, control center where oh. they're monitoring the situation. Yeah. And she's, like, goofing off with one of the other dudes. Comic relief. What a weird movie. I haven't seen it. Somebody recently pitched it to me where, like, that should have been the whole movie. Like, we should just have been in the control center. Like, just seen dinosaurs on screen and other people like that. And it's all with just the ops of how you respond to it. Because that's a different take on Jurassic Park as opposed to riffing in the same sandbox but worse. Yeah, that sounds like what I imagined the TV show 911 to be about. People sitting in a control room responding to crises and just joking with each other. No, I'm pretty sure that's mostly about the first responders. I know. But, like, when I first saw that they were releasing a show called 911, all I could picture is just people dramatically answering the phone in a room and not really, like, cutting away. I mean, they made that movie. It's called The Call with Halle Berry. Oh, my God. They did, didn't they? Yeah. What a weird career she's had. It's been a very strange career. Oh, boy. Speaking of strange careers, this movie was directed by Jon Favreau. What is his milieu? What is his, like, vision? I he does the weirdest really stuff. really likes widely appealing populist stuff. Yeah. I mean, 
Uh, this is just off the top of my head of his more recent stuff. So he does this. He does Iron Man. He does Iron Man 2. Then he leaves the Marvel stuff because Iron Man 2 is a mess. So he doesn't direct Iron Man 3. Instead, he makes Chef. I'm then he makes the Jungle Book for Disney. And now he's making The Lion King. Oh, don't forget Zathura, oh, I a forgot space he made Zathura, adventure. Which is space Jumanji. It's like based on a book by the same guy. Yeah. Oh, it's a flop. Yes, that did not make money. No. But the ads were really intense. Yes. But so this... Oh, and he did Cowboys and Aliens, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he did that in there, too. What a bad movie. I did not see it, but what a great trailer. What a great trailer. What a bad movie. I have no difficulty believing that. Oh, I saw it in theaters. I would have if I had had a car. So, John Favreau was attached to this, and I think one of the reasons I'm saying, like, big populist, widely appealing, is that he, at least in interviews when this was coming out, was saying that his big contribution to story was aging it down a little bit, making it a little bit less crass, a little bit less raunchy. The first version of the script was written by David Barenbaum and mm-hmm. started bopping around in 1993. So 10 years before it actually came out. At that point, Jim Carrey was attached to star in it. But by the time Favreau gets attached to it, it's a couple of drafts later. Will Ferrell and Adam McKay actually do their own pass on it, which you can tell. Yeah. So then it's more of like, you've got the beginning set in a kind of Rankin-Bass Christmas special world. Yeah. And this whimsical adventure that is literally turned into a children's book by the end of the movie. Yeah. Will Ferrell keeps his clothes on in this whole movie. I'm just realizing. There is a scene of him in a shower, but he's behind a curtain. Yeah. That's very rare for him. Oh, by the way, David Barenbaum, who wrote this, he, on Wikipedia, has four other films to his name. Haunted Mansion, starring Eddie Murphy. Zoom. The Spiderwick Chronicles. And Strange Magic. This is the most nothing list I've ever heard. Four movies that just don't don't exist. exist. That just made no impact on the culture. Strange Magic broke a record. For what? For lowest opening weekend for a movie on more than 2,000 screens. Oh boy. It's the most recent film directed by George Lucas. It's the last one that was put out before he sold Lucasfilm. How did that movie just not exist? It doesn't exist. It really doesn't. I challenge you to imagine anything about Strange Magic. Mark, what do you think Strange Magic is about? I want to say a frog. I feel like I googled it one time. I think it's like fairies. Like animated fairies. Yeah, that sounds right. It's definitely CG. Yeah. No, don't look it up. We don't want to know. Okay. We'll never know. Yeah. Tweet at us your strange magic ideas. Hashtag strange magics. It's a plural. That's C-K-S in magics. Ugh. If you want to pitch what you think George Lucas post-prequels would have animated in a film called Strange Magic. An all-ages CGI film. Let us know. I'm really curious so i think it's about some fairies who live in an enchanted forest and there's like civil war is extreme for an all-ages movie but there is some strife between the fairies about whether they should reveal themselves to humans at this point i'm just making it up and they live in mushrooms i feel like there are a lot of mushrooms in this movie i have a very important it's all got kind of a green hue not like leaves but like weird green magic floating through the trees hue you never actually see the humans now i'm purely making this up you just see their feet going out because the fairies are small i 
have a very important question that might change the way you conceptualize everything. Gargamel is in this movie, by the way. Keep going. Is a forest enchanted because pixies live there, or do they live there because it's enchanted? They live there because it's enchanted. They're tapping into the magic that is naturally there. But what if the fairies bring the magic? Would a fairy who moved to another forest and set up a new family there inherently create an enchanted forest? I would say no, but it's conceivable they could tap into magic that had not previously been discovered there. Magic comes from the earth. Okay, so you don't see it as brought by outside characters. It is inherently from the earth. Uh, Yes, I would say that because that's why the magic of like different places is a different kind of magic. You're going to get different magic in a forest than you would somewhere else. Mm, I guess. say like an enchanted playground or... An enchanted jack-in-the-box restaurant. Well, now that just sounds like some strange magic. What? Strange Magic is a movie about an enchanted Happy Meal toy in the shape of a fairy. We've spent more time talking about strange magic than we have Elf. And I even like Elf. Hashtag strange magics, M-A-G-I-C-K-S. What did you think watching this again? When was the last time you'd seen it before this? I have no idea. In its entirety, it could be years, but I've definitely seen pieces of it. It's the kind of thing you just stumble across, and you're like, oh yeah, Elf, you're still doing you. Yeah, and I'm still enjoying it. I'm still getting a kick out of it. I get a kick out of Elf. Nobody's bad in it. No, no one's bad. Everyone is good. Yeah. Amy Sedaris is in this movie. This is just like a solid player. Which I think marks my first exposure to Amy Sedaris. I mean, probably. I was not exactly watching Strangers with Candy when it was running. Well, I can imagine. <laughs> I will say, this movie brings up something that drives me crazy in all Christmas movies that deal with the issue of Santa. Is it candy spaghetti? No, it's... So, if Santa Claus is real and delivers presents, how do people stop believing in him? Because this means the parents are actively choosing to take credit for presents that they didn't buy. That they don't know where they came from. That they don't know where it came from. Right, and this weirdly is acknowledged in Elf. Whereas in like a movie like The Santa Claus is just like, no, parents stop believing in it. But in this movie, it's acknowledged and Ed Asner says, oh, there's a rumor going around that the parents do it. Fine, but what do the parents think is happening? If Random presents are showing up under your tree every year. Something strange is happening. Unless every single person has decided that if they didn't buy it, someone else in their family must have bought it without any communication. It requires very limited communication for this to work. It also requires basically a two-parent home because otherwise, like, a single-parent household, you wouldn't even have another person to fail to communicate with. Right. It just drives me insane. (laughs) Maybe it's answered in The Christmas Chronicles starring Hot Kurt Russell. I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> Nobody Everyone does. Everyone keeps talking about it. I'm hearing And I have no clue. Weirdly interesting things about it. I'm good, but I interesting. absolutely no clue. Yeah, we gotta watch that. Yeah. But to quickly summarize Elf before we move into the points. Oh, right. Because uh, we will not cover the plot with this. Spoilers if you have not seen Elf yeah. in the last 15 years. Buddy is a baby from an orphanage who ends up at the North Pole and is raised by Santa's elves when he's about 30. He's raised believing that he is just an abnormally tall elf. Right. But when he's about 30, he's told that he's a human, is sent to New York City to find he his- goes voluntarily. Yeah, he's not sent, but he like chooses to leave because he's starting to feel out of place and go find his father who didn't even know he was born in New York City. Shenanigans ensue, fish out of water comedy, etc., etc. Santa shows up, 
almost gets arrested by the Central Park Police for yeah, some reason. They're evil. Yeah, I was really confused about why they picked the Central Park Rangers to be the central force of evil in this movie. Because they're capable of doing a chase scene against a sleigh. Yeah. Because they're on horseback. I love that they depict them as like pure maleficence it's like the nazgul showed up yeah the horses might be the same actors as the nazgul's horses and then everyone believes in santa claus again and he delivers presents around the world the all end. in one night yeah does make sense there's a really great Sesame Street Christmas special from the 70s called Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, where Oscar the Grouch is making fun of Big Bird, and he's like, oh yeah, Santa Claus, how's he going to deliver all those presents? He's probably going to get stuck in a chimney, and Big Bird spends the entire special freaking out, where he's like, basically, he can't figure it out, and because Big Bird is developmentally very young, he's like, well, if I can't figure it out, obviously Santa can't figure it out, and so Santa's going to get stuck in a chimney, and nobody's going to get presents, and Big Bird sits up on the roof all night and almost freezes to death. That got dark. It's so good, though. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the points? Yeah. All right. So every week we walk our way through a movie's romance by looking at the five points that break down a movie's relationship. So we're going to start today, probably 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Why are you messing with me? Did Crumpa put you up to this? I'm not messing with you. It's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture. <laughs> I'm just trying to get through the holidays. When Buddy the Elf, played by Will Ferrell, has attempted to reconnect with his dad disastrously, he was thrown out of his dad's office in the Empire States Building and made his way to Gimbel's department store, where Santa's workshop, Christmas-themed area, the workers are dressed kind of like Buddy, who is still wearing his elf clothes from the North Pole. Different, but close enough. That Buddy is put to work by a manager who thinks he's slacking off. Yes. And Buddy is a hard worker, like any good elf, so he just starts working. Also, Gimbel's went under in 1987. True. And originally, the plan in the movie was to use Macy's. Yeah. And they actually had to deal with Macy's where Macy's was going to let him use all kinds of stuff. They were going to get to shoot in the store. They were going to get to use the store's Santa's workshop area. They were going to get to use the parade. But Macy's insisted their price was they had to cut the scene where Buddy fights Santa because Macy's Santa canonically is real oh yeah so they weren't allowed to do a whole bit about santa being a fake santa and john favreau was like yeah no that's one of the central jokes of the movie exactly so instead they shot it in a mental hospital and they licensed the gimbal's name from the company that now owns it wow also, if they included the parade, that would have increased the time frame of this movie from a few days to a month, almost. Which still could have worked. Which still could have worked, but it definitely would have been, like, a big time jump between the fish-out-of-water stuff and Santa arriving. Yeah, but we would have had more time for romance. <laughs> we would have had more time for romance. So, while he is at Gimbel's, Buddy sees Jovi, played by Zoe Deschanel, decorating a Christmas tree. Her name is Jovi. I believe that's short for Jovafine. <laughs> I was just like, is her name just short for jovial? And the joke is that she's not very jovial. Yeah. I don't know. Here's the thing about Jovi. So, like I said, I've been watching a lot of these made-for-TV Christmas movies this year. We'll talk more about those next week. But one of the running trends in them is, like, woman who is too serious. And you can specifically tell that from the way that she's not into Christmas. And she has to meet a man who's in touch with the spirit of Christmas. But one of the things I've been noticing in some of these is they're not necessarily people who don't like Christmas. Just people who are annoyed by their current circumstances relevant to Christmas. Because, like, Jovi, on her own is happy to sing Christmas songs. We, we have, see this yeah. multiple times in the movie. What she doesn't like doing is forced cheer in her service job. Yeah, what Jovi doesn't like is her job. 
Right. We have no proof Jovi doesn't like Christmas. We have evidence that she does like Christmas. She just doesn't like having to get dressed up as an elf and be nice to children all day. Right. And I was thinking that because there was another one I was watching. I was watching this new Hallmark movie called Mingle All the Way recently, which I expect I'll talk about next week. But in that one, similarly, there's this person who is referred to as a Grinch and is belittled for not being into Christmas when a huge chunk of the plot is about how she loves Christmas and resents her family for not staying around to celebrate it. That's weird. This movie doesn't posit that Jovi dislikes Christmas ever. No, it doesn't. But so we are kind of led to believe that at first, maybe a little bit, but more so just that she's like, what is this dude doing here? Right. She's just, you know, jaded. And also, this is the least stereotypically Zoe Deschanel role she's ever played. Well, this is pretty early in her career. It is. Everyone I talk to, not everyone, but a lot of people are still surprised when they find out Jovi is played by Zoe Deschanel. Well, it's blonde Zoe Deschanel, too. It is. I always wonder watching this if she acts more like this in real life than she does, like, her character that everyone knows her as. That is probable. Yeah. So anyway, she sees him staring at her as she decorates the tree and, like, calls him out on standing there and staring at her. Yeah. It's kind of like, why aren't you working? She's got no time for this crap. Everyone just assumes he works there. No one questions him, like, oh, are you new? Well, why else would he be standing around in that outfit? It's a reasonable extension. It is, but no one is nice enough to ask, like, oh, are you new? You must have just started here because I've never met you before. Let me show you the ropes. It's like, why are you slacking? You should know what you're doing. It's like, you're the manager. You should know. Well, presumably they probably hired a lot of seasonal workers and they probably did a training for a bunch of them. So they could be in a point where they don't know all these new people. But in theory, all those new people went through the training for Christmas at Gimbel's. That makes sense. It's also like just no one questions the fact that his outfit is different from everyone else's. Right. I think the idea is that nobody cares enough about this to pay that much attention. (laughs) No one cares about their jobs at Gimbal's. No. That's why it closed. Suck it, Gimbal's. And what he tells her from his staring is like he's just really excited to see another human who shares his affinity for elf culture. Which is a very funny line. It's a good line. And he is talking about how much he loves Christmas and she's like, ugh, what's Christmas but a time to find yourself a year older and not a penny richer? And he tries to get her to sing and she's like, I don't like singing in front of other people. He's like, no, it's the best. And she's like, shut up, go away. (laughs) Yep. And he shuts up and goes away. He shuts up and goes away and he spends the night decorating the store because Santa's coming to town. Yeah. Which brings us to point number two. Yeah. I ought to say no, no, no. Mind if I'm moving. At least I'm gonna say that I try. What's the sense of hurting my I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. The creepiest point. So, Buddy has nowhere to go because his dad has rejected the idea that Buddy could be his kid. Yeah. So, he spends the night in the store decorating. And the next day, in the morning before the store is open, he's just, like, kind of wandering around. And he hears the soft singing of Zoe Deschanel. Who is a good singer. Yeah. Yeah. That, this was not in the script until John Favreau found out she was in a band and was like, oh, you can sing. Well, now you have to sing in the movie. No, I actually listen to her music every so often. Her band. I really like her voice. I've never listened to her music, but she does sound good in this. Yeah. So she is singing Baby It's Cold Outside, 
and perennial source of Christmas debate. Yes. And then Buddy sits on the sink counter and joins in very quietly at first. And he like starts getting louder. And then towards the end, you see her face go, is someone else singing with me? And at the end, she realizes someone else is, but she commits and finishes the song before investigating. Love it. It is interesting that there's like a full shower here. Does anyone ever like check in with her why she's showering at work does she have money troubles is she i assume she does have money troubles because she says her water got shut off her water got shut off so presumably she did not pay the water bill or the bill like or something with new york just shut the water off also possible but it is odd that gimbals has full showers for its employees yeah it is cute how earnestly buddy sings the song like I don't even think he knows that it's her who's singing. He just hears someone singing a Christmas song and is like, well, heck yeah, I'm going to join in. A it's, duet, you say? It's Christmas. And so he's just sitting there and it's not even just like overjoyed smiling. He's like singing every emotion of every line. Yeah. Guys, Buddy really likes Christmas. It's This is just a movie that is such a perfect marriage of performance and character. Yeah. Where... Almost any other performer would have made it seem like they were laughing at Buddy. Like, Buddy was the butt of the joke. But he's not really. No. It's Buddy's exuberance is supposed to invite you in. Yeah, and it makes you question why everyone else is so uptight. Why would you not want to live like this? Right, like, why do you not want to be happy all the time? Yeah, so... Obviously, then, Jovia realizes that he's there. I'm assuming that's what Jovi is short for. I'm telling you, her name is Jovial. So Jovia is like, wait a minute. Someone is singing very loudly. She yells at him to get out. He runs out, crashes into a door on his way out. And then later that day, she's questioning him. Like, what were you doing in the women's locker room while I was taking a shower? A valid question. Yeah. I'm really curious about Elf's views of sex and nudity and shame we know that elves procreate yeah because papa elf says that he intended to have children but never got around to it uh i googled jovi and on the it's like name barrier or whatever a baby name page it says name of the female lead played by actress zoe deschanel in the movie elf jovi has a lively jovial sound and makes a fresh twist on an old favorites like jody josie and jolie maybe considered a short form of jovita jovina and jovana and jovafina all feminine forms of Jove, the Roman king of the gods. Okay. The first sentence is about Elf. I was going to say, did not really answer our question. Yeah. Um, She's interrogating him about why he was down there, and he's like, no, I wasn't trying to look at you naked. I didn't know you were naked. <laughs> like, he but did not make the connection of what room he was in. He also knows what a shower is, because we see him shower at one point. Right, but he's used to the shower head being above the curtain. That's true. The movie definitely plays it fast and loose with what Buddy knows and doesn't know. Yes. And he says that the reason he was there was just because he thinks she has the most beautiful singing voice in the world. Oh. (laughs) So then, point number three. So, do you want to go eat food? Do I, do I want to eat food? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the code. Yeah, that's basically, yeah. Buddy hangs out with his dad, James Caan. And his stepmom, Mary Steenbergen. And their son, Michael. And their son, Michael. And he and Michael become buddies when Buddy saves Michael from some bullies who are throwing snowballs. Yeah, so Buddy is very good at snowball fights because he's an elf from the North Pole where there's a lot of snow. 
And also, he has an elfish work ethic, so he can just make tons of stuff really quickly. And compared to elves, he's really slow, but compared to humans, he is lightning speed. Right. So, Michael then takes Buddy to Gimbal's, which he has been banned from at this point for getting in a fight with their store Santa. Yeah, so he's in a physical fight, and then there's, like, a joke about the fact that he got a restraining order from them. Yeah. But But he's still just there. He just goes in. Nobody says anything to him. His boss, who probably would have, is now Santa, because the other Santa was also thrown out. I'm assuming... He didn't need to resort to physical violence. Right. So the boss who would hold Buddy accountable can't just get up and throw him out because he's Santa right now. Right. Not a very committed Santa. The beard is just fully not on his face. It's very bad. Yeah. But they're there and they see Jovafine doing her work. And Michael's like, oh, do you like her? But he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And Michael's like, you're clearly staring at her. Yeah. You might as well be panting like a little dog. Yeah. And then he <laughs> opens up very quickly. Yeah. And Buddy tells Michael everything. I like how Michael coaches him. He's like, well, you should ask her out. Ask her to go get food, not candy. He has already learned enough about Buddy to clarify. Food does not equal candy. Yeah. And then he says, if she says yes, it means you're in. It's this code girls have. Right. It's just like not a code. It's not a code, but it is good that he thinks yes means yes. Right. Michael's a cute, weird kid. I really like Michael. Yeah. And so then Jovi comes over and is like, weren't you thrown out of this place? And Buddy tells her that she's beautiful and he feels warm around her and his tongue swells up. Which, he might be having an allergic reaction to something? Possibly. But he asks her if she wants to go eat food, which she finds naturally confusing. Yes. Before he goes, you know, the code. (laughs) And as we all know, you've got to stick to the code. Yeah. And so she says yes. She says yes. She says she just ate lunch, but she is free on Thursday. Yeah. Jovi is good to go with Buddy. He seems fun to be around. He does. He's also a weirdo. He's very weird. So it's like a little bit like... He's already fought Santa and sang in the women's locker room while she was showering. That is true. I don't know. I'd be curious to see where it... Like, who this is. like a one date, find out what his plan is. Yeah, just like figure out what the deal is. Well, you're in luck because our next point, point number four, is Buddy's date with Jovafine. You look miraculous. So do you. Thank you. What would you like to do? I got some ideas. Where they do all the things he did on his first arrival in New York, including actually drinking the world's best cup of coffee. His arrival is like a hilarious alternate vision of NYC from Annie, where he's just overjoyed going through everything that it's around, but it's the crummiest versions of all of it. Like, Annie goes to Radio City, Buddy goes to a cheap diner and drinks their coffee. Yeah, and then just runs in a circle in a revolving door. Yeah, so on the date, he picks her up and she's like, great, where are we going? And he goes, I've got some ideas, and then walks away, leaving her there. <laughs> yeah, and then she follows along. They go skipping for a bit. Mm-hmm. He takes her blindfolded to a diner that claims to have the world's best cup of coffee. And, and he takes her door. running in circles in a revolving door and then you fall out and vomit in a trash can yep and then they go look at the christmas tree in the sax fifth avenue window right and so then she takes him to see because he's like look how big it is and you she gets a look in her eye like oh you you don't even know you what don't big even know. is so they go to rockefeller Center. i'll show you a big tree <laughs> so they go to rockefeller center see the tree and then they go ice skating yeah and they hold hands he gives her a little kiss on the cheek she goes, you missed. Apologizes for it. And then she says, you missed. And then they kiss on the lips. Cute. 
And then we don't see them together again until the epilogue. Yep. And then <laughs> there's the very end of the movie. Point number five. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. It is Christmas Eve. Santa has fallen out of the sky because not enough people believe in him. So Buddy is in Central Park helping Santa to fix up his sleigh. And Jovi sees the Bigfoot footage of Buddy on the TV. And then she runs out to help out. And she remembers, after Michael comes out with Santa's list to prove that it is the real Santa in there, he's, like, reading off what different people want for Christmas, including the newscaster who's there. You want a Tiffany engagement ring and for your boyfriend to finally stop dragging his feet and propose already. Great. I love that Santa wrote that in his list. He knows specifically what people want. Yep, very specifically. And Jovi is like, all right, I know one way to spread Christmas cheer. In fact, I know the best way to spread Christmas cheer. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. So she starts singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And then Mary Steenburgen joins in. Very, very passionately. I think she's being deliberately bad. Oh, of course she is. I feel like it's rare that anyone would actually sing like that. Yeah. And Jovi then is key in saving the day. Yeah. Getting Santa up in the air again. Spreading some cheer. And then we skip to the epilogue, where Jovi and Buddy are presumably married. and They at least have a kid. They have a kid, and Jovi has her own elf outfit for when they go up to the North Pole to visit Papa Elf. Yep. That's the end of the movie. And that's the end of the movie. All right. Well, yeah. do you find this believable? No. No. Because Buddy is a crazy man. It's charming, but it's not believable. No, this is a Christmas treasure, and if your life looks anything like it, you should seek help immediately. Yeah. Either psychological, if you're Buddy, or law enforcement, if you're Jovi. Yeah. I feel like if she had... I mean, the movie is very short, So it could have, like, it would need more time, but as, like, a psychological experiment, going out on a date with Buddy could seem interesting. You could go once. You could go once, but then she just gets sucked in so fast to his, like, charming antics. Buddy's very charismatic. Yeah, which, like, no. So where would you rate this? Oh, boy. Our 10-point scale. I don't know. Probably, like, a three. (laughs) I was thinking it's, like, a two or a three. Two or a three. It's down there. I think it's a three. Yeah, I think they're it's a both three. weird. They are, but well, she's not that weird. Jovi's only weird in the fact that she chooses to go out with him, right? So three. I don't know. Are they dateable? No, Buddy definitely not. Buddy definitely not. I just don't trust Jovi. I don't <laughs> trust Jovi's judgment. It like based on the few scenes we see of Jovi before she meets Buddy, like that few she seconds, seems like a chill normal person. She seems like a chill normal person with a job at a department store. But I don't trust her. But I don't trust her judgment because she dates him. If you did have to pick one person to date, who would it be? Mary Steenburgen. I was going to say, there's a right answer. It's Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> there's only one choice. Yeah, it's just, if Mary Steenburgen is in it, you have to choose Mary Steenburgen. It's the law. She's awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, the movie kind of answers it for us but do you think they'd stay together yeah because who else is gonna be with those weirdos (laughs) that's true okay i think that about does it yeah probably yeah next week of course we are continuing our we love to love christmas celebration with 
my favorite holiday tradition on the show, our made-for-TV Christmas movie episode featuring hashtag Fifty Fierce. We will be covering a new Netflix movie with sneaker night singer herself, Vanessa Hudgens, Ooh. in The Princess Switch. I have not seen this yet. Me neither. I think Fiona has watched it twice already. <laughs> yeah, I think this will be her... Honestly, it'll probably be her fourth time by the time we record it. Let's be real. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at LoveTheLovePod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to our show. Last question. Oh, God. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? How do I still not prepare for this every single week? I guess... Sing loud for all to hear. I was going to say, tell someone that they make your tongue swell up. So romantic. Works for Buddy. (laughs) All right. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye.